You're listening to Flux Pod. My name is Matthew Perpetua. This episode features Laura June Kirsch, who is a photographer. She has a forthcoming book of her photography called Romantic Low Life Fantasies Emerging Adults in the Age of Hope. That covers uh, the years 2008 to 2016. It's coming out on Hat and Beard Press. Laura shoots a lot. She's kind of out in the field. She takes pictures at uh, a lot of events, concerts, festivals, things like that. And she's in this book, she's kind of documenting uh, subcultures and uh, DIY venues and uh, just, just the people more than the actual music itself. And uh, it's really interesting stuff. You can uh, click on links I'll include with this uh, episode to actually look at her work, which you absolutely should consider uh, buying her book, pre-ordering her book. Just as a reminder, if you want to get all the episodes of this show, you want to hit uh, patreon.com slash fluxblog. A bunch of uh, cool stuff coming up there, but also in the recent past, I have a whole like seven part uh, Sonic Youth audio essay series, uh, some like college radio type episodes, some like other episodes uh, that are interviews that never got released. There's a whole bunch of stuff there at this point. But yeah, that's uh, that's that. And uh, let's do it. Let's talk to Laura June Kirsch. <laughs> Laura, can you tell people who you are and what you do? Yes. Hi, I am Laura June Kirsch. I'm a photographer. I am putting out my first photo book called Romantic Low Life Fantasies that's coming out this fall on Hatton Beard Press. And like, how would you describe like the work in that book? Like, what just uh, like what like what is the uh, context and milieu? So the work is a collection of millennials and subcultures from 2008 to 2016. And I love like raw documentary style photography. So that's really what it is in the party space. But they're just kind of like documentary, environmental portraits, mostly candid of people at this time out in the world in their 20s socializing. A lot of clubs, a lot of festivals, things like that. It's mostly around the music scene because those are the communities I was part of. Um, yes, so a lot, a lot of that. So, like, what the specific communities would you would you say that you were part of? Like, what, like, how would you describe it to people who wouldn't know? Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Just more like the underground music scene. You know, more DIY venues. A lot of like you know, non-commercial music outside of like going to like Coachella and festivals like that. Let's just kind of go back to the start. Like, how did you kind of enter into this world? Cause like, cause 2008, I imagine you're kind of doing a little bit before then, like there's a whole scene of uh, like party photography and show photography. And this is kind of like just before everyone has a phone in their pocket that they can put on Instagram and everything. So I really hated the term party photography for my work because I am not to sound like snobby, but I'm like a classically trained artist and photographer who's been studying photography since I was a teenager, like seriously, and went to school for it seriously. So a lot of these party photographer people were more like just uh, people who almost like knew how to run websites at that time. They were mostly like dudes. Like I'm not yeah, really Cobra familiar. Snake was probably the biggest one, right? I don't even know that guys, I, that stuff's not for me. And that like LA scene is so far removed from where I was, but like, I 
really hated getting lumped in with these people who clearly had no formal training and like, didn't really understand how to properly expose or like composition or any, any, any technical skills. Um, that was really frustrating for me because I came from it as more of like a fine art background and I wasn't really planning on doing it for work. Um, I had wanted to work in the music industry, had worked at a label in college, you know, the recession hit, I couldn't get a job out of school and I kept getting hired to do photos. And a lot of it was these like kind of party style event stuff, but it wasn't really like me trying to be that because coming from someone who's like showing in galleries when I was younger and trying to go the fine art route, I found that to be a little like a person taking pictures versus like an artist who's a photographer. Did you go to art school? Yes. I went to the school of visual arts in New York city. I went to Parsons. I have a photo degree there, but it's largely you do? It's, it's when almost did you entirely go? in disuse. Like I graduated in 2002. Oh, okay. That's really interesting. So I entered school in 2003. So we just missed each other, but I'm sure you understand what I'm saying with this stuff. That Oh, like, absolutely. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> like you looked at these people's pictures. They didn't know how to edit anything. They didn't, you know, they didn't know how to take a photo really. They just kind of had on autopilot. I mean, just the eye for composition. Oh, absolutely. And, or, um, you know, they would just be trying to get pictures of like celebrity, you know, they were more about like what they were shooting than the quality of the work. And that's, like you know it would just be like here's a famous person and it's a really crappy photo but we're gonna like lean on that to get some sort of exposure or attention and I just thought that's completely ridiculous um and I am kind of the opposite where like if they're celebrities and I have to shoot them at events that's fine but I don't seek that out I just seek out interesting people and interesting moments and just like right having a more artful composition and making sure the photos stand alone as a, as an art photo. Um, you know, I love like all the historical documentary photographers. So that's who I'm like heavily influenced by. Um, but that's interesting. You went to photo school too. So it was a weird time, right? Like we were still printing in the dark room and doing all this traditional stuff. And then all of a sudden it was like, everything's digital immediately. <laughs> Parsons didn't introduce digital photography until literally the last semester I was there and I was barely in photo. I was really just finishing up like other requirements to graduate. It was like new school classes. So I <laughs> like my, uh, my actual education involved almost no digital photography whatsoever. Entirely. Yeah. Entirely film, entirely printing. Yeah. Same thing at SVA where it's like, hi guys, you're supposed to be like a cutting edge art school in the city. Like, why are we taking like five semesters of printing in the darkroom? Which I loved, but they were so behind on everything and like did not make the moves. And at least, I mean, look, I have a lot of qualms with SVA. I I think that school really could have done a better job with their um, curriculum. And, uh, in addition to that, like at least at Parsons, they had you going to real classes. Like we didn't even take like art history classes. I'm like, how can you make it in the world in any artistic medium without having an art history background? We only took photo history. Like that was the only art class we had to take. It's just, it was very problematic. Uh, Wait, so, so there really was like almost no, because I feel like, so at Parsons back then, they would have like, you know, art history classes, there would be these various like, you know, non art making classes. But you also had the option of taking like classes at the new school. And I took a lot of those because those were generally more interesting to me. And 
um, a couple of them, like, you know, in retrospect, kind of pivotal. Like there was this one um, rhetoric course I took at the, the new school that just ended up like heavily influencing the career I actually fell into, which was writing. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, so I didn't realize that SVA just was so minimal on that. Yeah. SVA was like, you had these like bare bones, like academic requirements, like the first freshman year. And it was all kind of a joke. And then it was just literally like, you know, it just wasn't a, it's not a well-rounded, I mean, maybe it's different now when I went, it wasn't a very well-rounded education. Like I was um, deciding between Fordham and SVA. And I often think that Fordham would have been a better choice. Um, so it's great. SVA is great if you're someone who couldn't excel at academics and are good at art and want to do that. But if you were somebody who did well in school, like myself, it was, it, it wasn't the best option <laughs> yeah. to be honest, but I'm here now. I met some great people. The flip side, like I had one, you know, Jessica Craig Martin had been my teacher and she really, she taught me a lot. I worked for her and, and, and working for her. I learned so much about art history because she's so knowledgeable And, um, I did make a lot of great friends who I still work with and hang out with, but I, at the school, even at the time I was like, the school is kind of (laughs) whack. Just out of curiosity, like how many of your friends that or people that you knew there ended up having visual art as their career? Because in my experience at Parsons, most of the people I knew like ended up in like sort of adjacent careers, a lot of them in, in music. Um, actually most of the people I know are like, a bunch are still photographers, a lot of them photo assists, a lot are retouchers. I'm actually having dinner with my friend, Vin Pion, who's like a great director who's in the film program. We like were on our um, freshman dorm floor together. So like we're actually having dinner tonight. We're still friends. He's like super talented and really successful. So there's a lot, I mean, but then the flip side, there was a lot of not success stories of like people who had a really hard time and were struggling and still are and like couldn't find a job and couldn't find footing and you know the school didn't even prepare you to be um adept in like the digital world for the most part and like then like they also didn't like really do a good job of like teaching people how to do production teaching people how to do management teaching people how to run a business like these these necessary things to freelance and that was a big oversight Um, I tried to have a talk with the head of the school after who I really didn't get along with. And that didn't go well. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if the schools are better now with that. Like, you know, we're going to have to give you some kind of some kind of instruction on how to run your own business. Cause it feels like that's pretty crucial, especially I feel like that's also like more the mentality of the people going into art school now. Yeah. I heard it's gotten better and I definitely know some of the like great, uh, students from my time are teaching there now, which is awesome. And I think that's good, but like, I can't, I, and that head person is a lot who I really uh, didn't think should have been in that role is not there anymore. So I think that's a huge plus as well. Um, so yeah, it's hard to say unless I went back there, but I've been kind of blacklisted after I got in a fight with that guy when I was 25. So <laughs> <laughs> they haven't been hitting me up. Oh, wow. they, they took the paycheck though. So whatever.
So when you look back at the, the photos at the beginning of this body of work, the stuff that's from like 08, 09, like what do you see there that is still kind of like from that era? And like, what do you see is like it's more bleeding towards the next one? Because that's kind of a pivot point. I don't see a lot from that era anymore. I think it's a totally different time now. I mean, you know, it's just different trends, like socially. I just think uh, you don't see as many people like ripping cigarettes and drinking tall boys. I like say that line a lot because that's just kind of a big theme in the book because that was just kind of the socializing of the moment. Now everyone's like into their jewels or whatever. And uh, I don't know. I just think this new generation is completely different you know they come from a more you know they were really immersed in social media they were like definitely a product of singularity way more than our generation was i mean you are you gen x technically or you know you're like an old millennial <sighs> it depends on who you ask i'm like pretty much right on the line i can go either way what year were you born 79 oh no you're gen uh you're gen x so yeah I hung out, my, you know, I have a much older sister and I hung out with way older people starting as like, you know, my whole life, but like really in high school. So I kind of identify more with Gen X in a lot because that's like what I grew up with in a way and like what I was around. So, um, so I really, I've often felt out of touch with my own generation and especially a lot of this new generation who's so plugged in all the time. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just think it's just hard to say. Just things are always evolving and changing, you know? I think just in the title of your book, like the, the idea of low life fantasies, that's like, that, I think that's a very, very big thing through that decade that I don't think people necessarily have as much now. Yeah, like it was cool to be kind of gritty and raw. Like even growing up in like the hardcore scene on Long Island, it was always like a raw, gritty thing. But it when everyone was very passionate about what they were doing, though. But it wasn't like this. You know, we live in the world today. I've talked about this a lot too in interviews, where like everything is filtered and presented on Instagram, and it's you know everything is meant to be shiny and presented in this specific way, and. um that's not what my youth looked like. It wasn't glossy and presented in this way. And that was what was beautiful about it. And that was like, what was really authentic. So I think there's a big, for me, the lack of authenticity in, in the world we live in now is really hard. Like all the posturing and trying to keep up appearances and like projecting some sort of perfection or everything's great. Or you see these couples online and then you hear like they're cheating on each other and they're miserable and all this other stuff. Like, I, I can't, I don't identify with it, honestly. It's uh, it's tough for me. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it is like a, this, it's a different kind of romanticism, I think. It's, it's because um, I feel like the romanticism that's in your work that, that you're tapping into is more about the life that you actually live and finding the romance in it. Whereas I think the, what you're kind of talking about is more like <sighs> this aspirational way of life um that people understand isn't quite real but it's still like people are pushing towards the aspiration yeah you know what it is like a lot of these scenes too like wasn't like everyone liked to be kind of stuff but it wasn't about like looking perfect or looking like this it was about being yourself and i think that's like the scenes i grew up in was like really being who you are and doing what you want to do without any judgment from mainstream culture because you know i was thinking about this a lot too like being a music fan when we grew up 
Like music is so accessible now, which is great. But if you weren't into music and into finding music and into spending all your time discovering music, like you wouldn't, you weren't part of the music crowd because it was a job. You had to go and like find other people who knew about cool music and download this stuff and burn CDs and borrow CDs and make mixtapes. And you did all this, like, it was like what you wanted to do for your free time. You couldn't just have someone send you a playlist and listen to it and be like, I just found out about this cool new artist. So there was a lot, um, there was a lot, it was a lot smaller of a scene. Like, you know, like people being into music was not easy when we were younger. It You had to be obsessed with it. And that kind of connected you to a lot of people who you found like the other weirdos who were like, yeah, I just want to sit at home and like listen to records all day <laughs> and do this. Cause most people didn't want to do that. And they were like, you're weird. I don't understand. Like, I want to go watch friends. And you're like, I, I don't, I never want to watch friends. So you know what I mean? And I've been thinking about this a lot, but now everyone like can have access to music, which is so great and not a bad thing, but it was a different time before. Yeah. And I think like also there's people because, because of the way things were, people were more like heavily identified with particular subcultures, with particular genres. And you staked more of your identity on this because it took so much more work and because the signifiers meant more. I think people now dress up and it is more of a dress up thing rather than like a day-to-day lived identity. Yeah, I mean, right. I went to shows like at least two or three nights a week, probably since I was like, I don't know, in middle school almost. Like I, all I did was want to go to see live music. I just wanted to go to live music. I just want to listen to music. It was like, that was it. That's it. Take photos, music, done. Those were my two interests. And I just was like, not... And it was so exciting at that time because, you know, you're just like connecting with people in person and, and meeting people outside your school who like liked the same stuff as you did. And um, yeah, I, I yeah, I, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I it was something I just was connecting the dots about like what has radically shifted in this time. It went from like everyone's a music fan because I kind of in the intro I talk about like music festivals becoming a mainstream thing. And I'm like, well, what really happened there? I'm like, well, music most music that's not super popular or this wasn't like on the radio was not a mainstream thing. You had to find it where now it's very easy to have access to it. And that explains why so many more people are interested in, in the music culture because, you know, I, they can be lazy and still have access to it. <laughs> where when we were kids, you could not be lazy and have access to this stuff. You had to go find it. And that would made it so exciting and so fun. And you'd find these other people who were also into the stuff you were into and like, you know, and you swap bands and stories and just like find out about, um, all this cool art. And it was really through, you know, word of mouth and, and, and going out and living it. And, uh, it's such a different experience where everything is just like digital these days and just sent over. And there's such a quick cycle through of music and artists are just putting out so much content all the time. It's overwhelming. Um, you don't even get to like sit with a record for like six months to a year, like you used to when we were younger you know, you'd like have that one record you listen to every day for such a long period of time. I mean, God, I mean, think of how uh, disc bands and walk bands were that, that would really emphasize like, here are your, your few options that you were carrying with you. If you're carrying it with you. Oh my God. I would bring a big CD booklet with me like everywhere. I would carry it around everywhere. And I used to take when I printed in the dark, like this makes it sound so old. When I print in the dark room, I would, 
take the disc man, I'd stick it in the back of my pants so I could listen to music while I worked. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what, like, what was good uh, darker music to you? I don't know. Whatever I was listening to at the time, things, whatever was, whatever was my favorite album at the time. But I was very excited when the iPod came out. That was like big. I remember telling my dad, I was like, "You should buy Apple stock," and he's always like, "Wow, if I had listened to you when you told me that, <laughs> I would have so much money." I was like, "I was like, you should buy stock in this company. This is going to change everything." And um, I was right. I was like in high school. And I guess you didn't do it yourself. I didn't have any money, but I saw an opportunity, you know, always an entrepreneur. I was like, this is, if I had money, I would invest in this company now. (laughs) This is revolutionary. This is like mind blowing tech that they can uh, put the songs onto this little device and you can have them with you all the time. I think like the the tech business term for it is scaling. So like there's a lot music is much easier to scale now on on streaming, and before there, that that just was so difficult. Like the when you think about like the the artists from the '90s and the early aughts that were like successful like indie acts, they would be considered so much less successful now than even like kind of middling bands now because you just the the sheer numbers of you know their, their plays on spotify is just so much greater yeah absolutely i mean look I, it's it's like there's good and bad with everything i think it's amazing that artists have more control of putting out work and there's not as many like barriers to entry to get out there um and that there are more music fans because everyone should be but it definitely that i would say would set apart some of these scenes too though it's more like everyone's into this stuff before but previously it was kind of like a smaller group of really passionate music fans who went to this kind of, these kind of events. And this yeah. is kind of the tail end of that in this book. You can like see the transformation of these like festivals getting huge at this time too. So what was your experience like being at these festivals as they kind of grew in scope and like cultural weight? Um, I mean, I don't know how to answer that properly. I mean, did, did you see like a, like a, an encroaching professionalism in them? Like in the, in terms of people like photographing it or perf- oh, like performances? Or anything about it, really, just because there really is kind of like, because I remember how festivals were in the late 90s and early aughts, and then just the way they just gradually mutated into what they are more like now, yeah. which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think the most obvious thing is like, I, I saw the, the Woodstock 99 documentary, and that's like the ultimate example of a bad uh, 90s festival without any of the infrastructure and things that would make any of these festivals livable now oh my god remember when woodstock 94 happened i was a huge <laughs> green day fan as a child and i was dying i was like begging my parents yeah i was begging them to take me and i think my mom was like considering it which is so nuts and then my older sister's like you can't take her there it's gonna be crazy like it's gonna be like people moshing it's gonna be out of control and i was like <laughs> hate you it's like dying 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 to go um yeah, I think the production obviously has gotten a lot better, which I love. I mean, it used to be like you go to a festival, it's not going to be the best performance of that artist. Now you go and it's, you know, like think just thinking about like Beyonce's performance at Coachella a couple years ago, it might be like one of the best performances that's ever happened, period. So there, the I love the production. I love lights and the good audio. I, I And I really like that um, 
that evolution and that's exciting to me and it keeps it interesting. Like I know some people are like, Oh, I hate a big show. I'm like, Oh, as I, if I, when you've seen so many shows through your life, starting from like age 12, like to me, there's big production. So exciting. I love it. I love going to a stadium show or like an arena show and just having like all the bells and whistles. I find it so fun. I'm so glad to hear you say that because I, I agree. And because I, I see in, in the best case scenario, it's using this larger canvas and using this uh, creating a more complete art experience in some ways. I'm thinking of like a uh, bunch of episodes back. I had uh, I, I had the guy who did all the, the visual stuff for Nine Inch Nails. And they would have like these kind of next level things. Like they were doing stuff around like 2008 or so that people still don't really know how to do yet. It's just all very next level uh, visuals and like using screens and using projections in very unique ways. And I feel like that's like, that can be so special or even just like the, like the kind of the epic razzle dazzle of what Beyonce was doing at Coachella. It just kind of like creates possibilities. Um, and I feel like you can kind of have great shows in any capacity. And that includes like the biggest one. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought up Nine Inch Nails because they are one of my favorite bands. I think they are one of the best live bands in the world. I've seen them like five or six times live. And it's, he, Trent Reznor is just such a perfection. He's just so talented. And the visuals are a huge thing too. And I noticed that as well. I saw them on the, what was that? The With Teeth tour in 2008. Is that the tour you're talking about? That'd be like 2005. 2008 would be oh. Lights in the Sky. Okay. I think I saw them. I can't remember. I Maybe it was earlier then. Uh, God. I can't believe that With Teeth came out in 2005. I thought that was later. Um, <laughs> time goes by so fast. But yeah, they're just... every. If you're a music fan, I tell everyone this all the time. Like, If you're a music fan, even if you're not the biggest Nine Inch Nails fan, you should go see them because it's just such a great show. And they are awesome and yes their visuals are like unparalleled and yeah trend is always ahead of the game always and he's yeah. uh, you know it, it, since the beginning of his career has like seen the importance of having an aesthetic and visuals along with his music right well the person i was i was forgetting the name was rob sheridan rob sheridan was like the he did all the visuals for nine inch nails for i think from 2000 to 2015 or so so a, a good long time and like but i think the thing with Nine Inch nails is like you don't necessarily need the work rob was doing to have it really go over like the intensity of that band is so great that just having a minimalist thing will be as powerful is kind of hit you a different way but i think the thing that i've really found with trent reznor and i've, I've talked to him a few times uh, as, as a writer is I just feel like he is so obsessive about making sure that people get the best possible experience, no matter what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if everyone necessarily has that sort of like maniacal drive to just go above and beyond in every capacity, but all, but while also keeping in mind, like I want my audience to just be, have the best time possible. Yes. Cause I feel like sometimes those two things are, are at odds. Uh, I completely relate to that. Uh, my designer probably wants to kill me at this point because I am the same way. I am like, everything has to be perfect and every detail has to be perfect. And every single detail of this book was like a three hour decision from like <laughs> the font <laughs> on the captions to where they are to like 
not using commas on the captions. Like every single thing, if there's like any punctuation that's off in this book after it's printed, I will like jump out the window. <laughs> that's like the kind of person I am. So I get it. Wait, 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 wait. Can I ask you like, what, like what was the aesthetic decision for not having commas in the captions? I just didn't like the way they looked. They just looked too clunky and it, it threw off the visual thing. And I'm like, you know what? This is an art book. The aesthetic is more important. So I'm getting rid of them because it just looked, didn't look right. And it's interesting because <laughs> my publisher, he and I are like definitely kindred spirits, but he did this, um, like kind of culture art mag called stop smiling. And he said the same thing. He's like, yeah, we did the same exact thing. He's like, they just look too clunky. I'm like, yeah, they look too clunky. So I get it. And, uh, I am like that too. And it's like, I have put, you know, like art books are not like a big money maker. You don't do it for that reason. I've put so much work into this book, Matt. It's been like, <laughs> I can't even believe it. Like uh, outside of shooting it, like started paring this down in 2016. It's been so much work, but I can't, I'm like, I, I don't care. I will do keep doing it and redoing everything and sequencing it. I sequenced it so many times and edited things in and out forever. I'm like, I will keep doing it till it's perfect because even if you don't really notice it, you might just flip through the book, but like that registers with you, even if you can't discern it um, knowingly, you just, when you look at something that's really thought out, you notice it, even if you don't can articulate it or you're somebody who doesn't like, who isn't as nuanced, like you'll know. Um, this is your first book, right? Yes. It's my first photo book. So it's kind of like your big debut. This is, you know, a whole chunk of your life now. Yeah, it might be my only photo book. Who knows? So it's, you know, even more reason to make sure it's done right. Are there particular photo books that you were inspired by that you want to, like, work up to the level of? Well, I mean, sure. I mean, everyone loves, like, Robert Frank. I mean, I'm not comparing my work to his, but in terms of just how that book was laid out, I love, like, a very clean-cut traditional book. Um, Big William Eggleston fan, obviously big... Diane Arbus fan. Uh, I love um, Larry Clark. Big fan of his work as well. I loved, you know, Jessica Craig Martin, who I worked for, I mentioned before. When I worked for her, she was putting out her photo book and I helped her edit and put the whole thing together. So um, I loved that process and I love her work. So that was really cool and fun to, to work on that when I was younger and see how that process kind of went. And um, yeah, I just had a strong... Like, it was funny, the, some of the first meetings I went into, they were like, go, they were like, you should go and like flip through books and figure out what, and I was like, well, I already know exactly what I want it to look like. Like, you know, they saying this to me, I'm like, oh, I already know exactly how it's going to look, how I want it laid out. Like, I, I had already known all that stuff. I had thought about it before. So um, that was funny to me. I was kind of like, what are these people talking about? Of course, I already know what I want it to look like. I'm thinking about this forever. <laughs> Do, do you feel like a lot of your instincts on this are just purely that just like this is you are you automatically know you already have a sense of the composition in your head and you're just trying to like make it so um well in terms of the layout or in terms of when i take photos yeah like the layout or like you know what should be there like what the like how it should feel well yes for a big thing for me was i needed the book to be the perfect dimensions because it needed to feel right in your hands. Like I needed, that was, so I sat with all the art books I have and held them each until, you know, traditionally when I print work, it's like, there's not usually big white, like the borders are, there's like a lot of white space in some of these books because I didn't crop the photos. I kept them at their um, full bleed. 
but like with, you know, but, but the, sorry, I kept them at like their full crop, but, um, I needed the book to be the perfect size and I didn't want to resize the photos to fit in perfectly. So there is a lot of white space, but I like the way that looks too. But for me, the most important thing, right. Was, does this book feel right? Does this feel right holding it? Does it feel right? Like putting it in a bag is what is the best dimensions to do this? And that was a, you know, a lot of time measuring and thinking. And like, I literally will, you know, I'm, uh, I take my time. I'm slow. You know, my niece called me a snail this weekend and she's not wrong. She said, you're so slow. You're like a snail. Uh, <laughs> and that's okay. I'm a thinker. I uh, like to sit around and think, think about an idea and like really make sure it's the right choice with everything. And like, for some people that's like maddening. They're just like, make a decision. I'm like, well, no, I have to make sure it's the right decision. So I definitely what? spent lots of time just going through every photo book I have and holding it. And then like holding the other one and measuring them and figuring this stuff out. But, uh, and I guess also like how they look on a shelf, how they would look in a store. Yep, that's you. Cause I have some of these like longer photo books. I hate the way they're on the shelf. I mean, yes, that was a huge thing. Absolutely. All these things I think about every little detail has been thought about. So I, I appreciate that. And friend Rizner. <laughs> So just thinking about the, the time and place that you're documenting here, is it, is it mostly in New York or is it all over the place? It's all over the place, all over the country. Um, what do you want to say about the time and place here? Like, what, what do you want people to get from this? What do I want people to get from? I want them to feel good and to remember, uh, especially right now, to remember this time and just like, it's a joyful book and it's funny. I mean, it's like emotional time. And I just think it's going to speak to a lot of people like me, like millennials who just like kind of had went on this odyssey in their twenties where you're, you know, I came from a very like traditional suburban family. And it was just kind of like, you go to college you meet someone, you get married and have kids and that's life. And then you, you know, and like that, you know, I was very serious about relationships when I was in my twenties to the point where I was like wasted so much time on them that were like ones that weren't working and, you know, and then I just kind of wasn't like, I'm not ready for any of that stuff. And like, I, I also, you know, all the career paths that I thought I was going to take didn't work out. And then, you know, I was doing this like chaotic freelancing, which I loved, but it's a crazy life and it's stressful and um, certainly wasn't making any money. And, uh, you know, I was like, okay, none of none of that life isn't even an option for me. So I'm just gonna, you know, I love music. I'm in these communities. Like, I'm making no money shooting for press, but I get to go to all these fun shows and stuff. I'm just going to enjoy it and just kind of ride this out until it's not working. And I think I'll, I think a lot of people kind of had that experience. At least the people I know is like, everyone was just kind of like, I don't have a plan and that's okay. We're just going to kind of like 
do what we want to do and just enjoy it. Like, and, and that, that was the thing too. The economy crashing did, I think, free up people to just pursue their creative endeavors in a way that like our parents' generation maybe didn't feel like they could. And that's why it's called romantic low life fantasies. It's just like kind of like, you know, it was gritty and it wasn't glossy, but everyone was kind of like doing what they wanted to, you know, and, and do living out like their dream life at that time, even though it wasn't maybe making the most money or it wasn't the most glamorous on paper, but it's like really being passionate about what you're doing and doing it. Did you always have more interest in shooting the people who are in the audience rather than yes, the people on stage? 100%. Like how much experience do you have doing live the latter? Music? Oh, uh, tons. Yeah. I mean, I was shooting live music all the time too, but I, I don't know. I was always interested in shooting people. Always. Like all my projects in high school, I was always like, like environmental portraits. It's always been my thing. It's kind of like documentary style, environmental portraits. Like that's, that's who I am more. And like live music, I don't mind shooting it. But now it's like, too, you know, there's like so many photographers shooting these concerts. It's like, what's the point? I literally had like this image software pick up this thing. It was like, someone stole your photo. And we just had literally the same exact photo from a festival. And like, you know, it gets to the point where you're like, what, you know, there's not, if you're, if you're not at a show where you have like exclusive access to shooting that performance, it's kind of like, well, it doesn't feel that exciting to photograph, you know? And yes, I, I much prefer to shoot people though. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was just thinking about it in terms of like in capturing a moment and capturing an era, the, the stuff you, you do in the, that is in this book is so much more powerful and evocative than if you were taking pictures of like, you know, the people on the stage, like whatever bands happen to be in that moment. Uh, because I mean, ultimately, people like, will see that is that that's that's more rooted in celebrity. That's more rooted in like, oh, I like this music. Whereas looking at people in the audience is really more. It makes you think more about your own experiences and the experiences that you've had and the experiences you you wish you have or want to have. Because um, I feel like a lot of audience potential audience for your book is really people who are much younger and weren't there. Because you know, you look at that and you just kind of think about what you. What, what you want. Absolutely. I mean, my old boss said it best. She's like, cause when we're going through the work with her and she's like, these people on stage, she's like, that's not your photo. That's their moment. That's their, they are, that's not, it's not your, like, that's like them, you documenting what they're doing, but it's not your, you have no like, um, like authorship on these photos. Like any, and exactly anyone could have taken it because you're really just taking a picture of someone else's, art and what they're doing almost. And it's not, and then that's why there's pretty much very few live photos in the book. I think only like a cup, like two maybe. And they are like also not the most direct live photos. And that's it. And it was so true. It's like, you, it's hard to look. I, so many talented music photographers, if you put all their work on a wall and didn't have the names and you just knew who all these people were, it'd be very hard to tell apart whose was whose. You know what I mean? I think a lot of my favorite like live photos are also photos that heavily involve the audience. Like there's one photo I'm, I'm thinking of right now. Maybe, maybe you know what I'm talking about, but there's this really famous photo of Kraftwerk performing in New York city, probably around like 1980 or 1981. I think it might be a Laura Levine picture. Right? I'm not certain, but you know, it's it, the, the photo is largely of the audience and you see like one of the guys like, you know, putting a, an, an, a, 
you know, handing the microphone to a guy in the audience. And like one of the things that's exciting about looking at that audience is realizing like, well, who are, who was listening to Kraftwerk in New York City then? And the answer is like a pretty broad audience and like a, audience that was maybe only half white. Yeah, exactly. There was a social commentary where it's just pictures of them on stage. Again, that's the, they created that stage. They created that stage setup. They're controlling the performance. You're literally just snapping what they painted, essentially. You know, you're it's 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 not right. It's it's not really um you can't real it's hard to have your own opinion filtered through that and your own point of view filtered through something that's completely controlled that you're documenting. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. So do you, I have to assume the answer is yes. Um, like the, you, you seems like you really embrace like the improvisational aspect of photography, which was always like my favorite part of it too. Even when I was doing stuff that was uh, more deliberately composed is trying to find improvisation within it. Um, and it's like a lot of it is really just kind of like having the presence of mind to recognize the shot in the moment. Yes. I am like just at these events, like I'm super ADD. I'm like living in my own head. So I'm at these events, like just looking around and I'm just noticing I'm super observant. And I'm a person who's like notices every little detail about anything. So the point drives me, I wish I wasn't, it must be so freeing to not be one of these people who like notices every little thing. Um, but yeah, my friend would used to be like, you capture people's vibrations. And right, I could just see, I'm like incredibly sensitive. So I can just feel energies or like feel tensions and just see it and pick it up. And it's just kind of like being around and seeing those interactions. I love like, um, I just love an emotional interaction between two people and getting that candid shot. Like, I love it. That's my favorite thing to do with photography. So now that you have all this experience, especially like what, what are kind of audiences that you look to and be like, Oh, that's going to be a good one. I'm definitely going to get something good there. I don't think like that. I just go, I I think I, I can find something interesting. And one thing I think that's helped me with events is like, you can send me to any event with, with, well, I mean, I, I actually haven't done any like really like shooting like, uh, you know, like, political stuff of parties that I don't agree with. I mean, which I'm sure I could, I don't know. I, I can go to any situation and figure something out. Um, you can find interest. There's interesting moments in any social situation, like anywhere. Like it's like shooting like corporate parties is funny. Like that kind of like lifestyle and that office culture and like people, you know, seeing workers like have a drink and like loosen up and like that stuff is funny to me too. Or weddings, like, uh, I don't really think about it that way. I just go to the things that I'm interested in and I, and I find the interesting moments. I think there's interesting moments at any social function. If you, if you have the eye to find it and if you're paying attention and that's what makes people a talented photographer or not, if, if you're only going to things, you know, it's really interesting too. Like I was talking to a friend who's starting to shoot. She was like showing me these photos of some like, car activation thing. And she's like, I don't know these photos. I don't know if they came out right. I'm like, well, did you really want to take a picture of that? Or did you feel like you had to, because it was the setup thing that was presented to you. And she's like, I don't think I really want to take a photo of that. I'm like, exactly what, like, don't let, like, don't, you know, don't let society start controlling you. Like think for yourself, what do you like, 
what do you want? What do you think is interesting? Because we live in such a directed world now where we're told what to think and we're told what to like and we're told what to what's what and and it's uh it's not good there's like a lack of like free thought a lot uh these days which is hard but if you need to go to a place because you feel like there's going to be interesting photos and maybe you're not the most skilled photographer because if you are a skilled photographer you can find an interesting photo anywhere out of anything <laughs> in my opinion <laughs> There is a thing you wrote uh, pretty recently that I liked a lot where you're writing, I'm going to try to like summarize this quickly, but this basically this feeling like out of step with people's relationships with cameras, with Instagram and people taking selfies and, you know, just feeling alienated from that. And, you know, could, could you expand on that a little bit here just to kind of uh, put on your own words, I guess, rather than me just trying to yeah, summarize Yeah, well, you. when Instagram came out, I'm like, oh, this is so exciting. I want to share my work and have other people see my photographs and, like, interact with them. And then it just started turning to this thing where people were just broadcasting themselves. And that's never really been my thing. Like, you know, I, I don't know. It just never really was my thing. And, um and I, you know, it quickly turned into this thing where it's just everybody, like, why? Why are, why do we need to post pictures of every meal we eat? Like, is it that interesting? Like, I don't, like, this compulsion to post every little thing from your life. And don't get me wrong. I have certainly had moments where I participate in it. But I'm like, why? Why do we need to do this? Is this that interesting? Are we taking time out of, like, a good hang with somebody? You know, I, like, ran into one of my friends from Long Island who I've been friends with forever. Um and he and I talk about this stuff all the time. And he and I ran to each other in the park. And it was like, you know, most people would be like, take a photo of this. I'm like, why would I, we're here talking and we're having this like awesome conversation like this. And this isn't for anybody else. Like no one needs to be a part of this. This is just for the two of us. And that, um, that sort of like intimacy that is, doesn't exist as much anymore is a, is a shame in my opinion. I think like one of the things uh, the situation now where like everyone is a photographer in some way, people are putting photos, uh, whatever on Instagram or Twitter, whatever they're going to do or take videos of themselves. It really, it's, it's not that different from people like having camcorders and doing home videos or doing, you know, just having snapshots and just, you know, obviously people were taking pictures and of, of random things and, didn't really make them photographers like so being a photographer really is the more thoughtful thing it's the more deliberate thing it's the more technical thing so in in some ways it, it makes a situation where like your skills are more pronounced but also maybe harder for some people to see because they, they are awash in this sea of photos every day. Yes. I think it is so great that everyone is exploring creative outlets and so important, but that doesn't make everyone good at it. You know, just cause you have access to LinkedIn. Even if you're someone who's invested in like a $4,000, you look, if you're a good photographer, you can take a great photo with any camera. Like people who get hung up on gear. I'm like, look, man, if you have a good eye I've taken some of the best photos I have with like point shoot film cameras, like crappy ones from the store. Um, yeah, I, I think it's great. People are exploring creativity, but I also think again, sometimes when people are like, I think some people need to stop and think like, well, if I never looked at Instagram and I was given a camera, 
what would I take a photo of? Because people feel like it's like, oh, I take a picture of myself and my dog or my food because this is what people take photos of. It's like kind of taking a step back and like, well, what would you do if, you know, say you were just doing this for yourself and no one was going to see it? What would you take a picture of? Um, and kind of thinking in that way. And so I think a lot of what people do is because you know, and then they do, they get rewarded on this algorithm and it gets them whatever. And, and I understand that too. It's like a, like, it's like gambling. They're like playing the system and playing into it, but I don't know. I, I do think there is a lack of people thinking for themselves these days. Were you always kind of averse to uh, self-portraiture? No, I wasn't averse to it. I just didn't do it that often. I would do it. I mean, I have like self-portraits from high school and from college and I would take them. Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't as interested in taking photos of myself. It just wasn't as interesting to me as other people. When you were SVA, were there people there who were like really, really, really into self-portraiture? Because I remember at Parsons, there was always kind of like, a, there would always be in any given photo class, a few different, almost always girls who were just really like, that was their project. I'm going to do a project of self-portraits like every day in different contexts. Like that was a, a very common project. I remember there was an Imperial teen song that has the line, like she majored in self-portraiture. I always liked but like, was that uh, as much of a presence then a couple oh, years absolutely. later? I mean, definitely. Yes. There were, there were people like that. And I, no, I just was interested because I, I was very social and I had friends. I always liked shooting. I have a huge family and I liked and very social and always had a lot of friends and I was always interested and I really love the people. I'm, I'm, I'm not for everybody and I can be a tough person. Not, I'm not tough. But like I, and super opinionated and very direct. And um, that's not for everybody. So the relationships I have, and I'm very honest and keep things very real with people. So the relationships I do have with people tend to be like very deep bonds. So I care very deeply about um, the people I'm close to. So, you know, I, I, I don't really have like superficial relationships. So I think that made it kind of natural and easy to want to shoot the people around me. Same thing with like that, the music community around like 2008, 2016, it kind of was like really lost and found this like place in the world um, at a really strange time. And I think like, so it meant a lot to me and the people in these communities and the people in these scenes and these people, you know, your peers and your, um, you know, your friends and the people you socialize with, like all of it is from a very loving eye. And uh, it was not, photographed as like an outsider like encroaching in these scenes it was just me these were the people I hung out with <laughs> and the places I went to and uh the things I was interested in at the time so in the in the past year like how has you know kind of being in this whole pandemic situation like how has it impacted your actual photography because so many of the contexts that you would normally shoot in or just wiped out how has it impacted my art well I was working you know the book I was pitching and I got the publisher right at the beginning of the pandemic. So we've been just producing this book the whole time. And I was doing other kinds of freelance stuff. I've still had shoots. I, I turned down a lot of work in the pandemic because um, I had to, there weren't safe situations. I just was like, I'm not, you know, I, I understand you have this thing in a restaurant, but I'm not going there. And then it was like, Oh good. That restaurant just closed down of COVID two days later. So, you know, 
uh, I just was writing a lot. I've always wanted to write more. Writing has always been something I like doing. I just don't have the time. So I started writing more. I started that column for Whalebone, which I love doing. And they just let me write about whatever I want to, which I love. And I just, and I took like a million online classes. I just was like as productive as I could be in other avenues and just trying to expand in that way. And look, if I'm going to be really honest, like, was it, it's overwhelming photographing events all the time. You know, the, like my whole adult life has been like at these, it's gone. It's like a really strange juxtaposition where it's like, I'm spending all this time alone. And then you're at these intense events working but you're there, but you're also not really social. You're not really part of the party. You're just kind of, you know, you're like a higher gun. So it's a really intense dynamic. And, um, I would be lying if I said it wasn't nice to have a break from being at events 24 <laughs> seven. Yeah. It's, it seems like it, it was kind of perfectly timed for you to kind of switch gears and to go into the curation. Yeah. Mode. And it was great to have that time to just focus. This book is so much work, man. I can't even tell you. I, I like, I will, I will be so much more empathetic before I like criticize anyone's project. Cause I am highly critical. I, I think like just, I don't think anyone could guess how much work went into this and how much time it took. And look, people throw together these projects, but you can also tell that when they do. So like, uh, it's unbelievable. So it was fortunate. And that was a silver lining for my quarantine that I did have this project to work on and I had no other distractions with work really. Um, but yeah, but shooting's picked up. I'm doing more portraits anyway and less event stuff overall. I've been doing more like production stills and portraiture. So that uh, is a welcome change that I've been enjoying as well. How can people find the book and the rest of you, the stuff you've done? Okay, well, most of my work is on my Instagram and my website, which is just like laurajunekirsch.com and Instagram, laurajunekirsch. Um, the book is we're selling as much direct as we can. So through hattonbeardpress.com, that's my publisher, um, especially with the pandemic. But there will be book events. We are planning on doing event, obviously, in New York, Chicago, probably San Francisco and L.A. Um, it will be in select indie bookstores, and we will get that list once it's distributed. But the best way is, you know, bookstores take such a huge cut off the cover price that it really makes it hard for, for indie publishers to sustain so we're trying to kind of like rework that system and, and sell directly as much as possible. So the best way to support the publisher and to just, you know, at this point, it's like, so we don't lose money on this project, honestly, is, you know, would be to buy directly through them. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's really fun to talk to you. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, I know. I could talk forever. I can go another <laughs> hour. She goes to school in Washington. Yeah.